Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn State Health. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Daniel Gallon here alongside me. We're breaking down the latest in Penn State football, and it's officially transfer portal season. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley was welcomed from Western Kentucky, the wide receiver. Very exciting addition to the wide receiver room. I believe, uh, Daniel, you and Bob covered that ground uh, earlier this week on the Blue White Breakdown. But the latest is, and I don't, so I suppose it's not a, a huge surprise because most of us were probably expecting some kind of movement from Penn State's running back room. But Noah Kane, the veteran, junior, former four star, um, looked to be, you know, the future at running back at one point in time, struggled a bit in 2021. Now he's in the transfer portal. We're not sure yet as we sit here today where he might be headed, but there are some probably pretty logical destinations. And I'm guessing a lot of programs out there interested in a guy who can grind out yardage and who has a little bit of success on his side. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it was a surprise. We all kind of expected to see some movement from that room especially when you factor in the two incoming freshmen, you're looking at six scholarship guys uh, for next year, um, all of whom either have rather extensive experience or have a lot of talent uh, in terms of the freshmen. So, I mean, I think the one thing that might be a little surprising about it is that Noah Kane was probably going to enter next year as a 1A, 1B type back with Kevon Lee. You know, they gave him a lot of opportunities and, it wouldn't have been a surprise if he kind of entered the year as the favorite to be the starter. So you kind of, I guess you read the tea leaves a little bit and kind of what's behind him, what's been pushing him. Um, and I think also given the injuries and just kind of the, the ineffectiveness that he probably needs a change of scenery in terms of what he's kind of dealt with. And obviously being hurt isn't directly tied to Penn state, but I do think that if you're here, he spent all the last year rehabbing during the pandemic. This year, he James Franklin never said exactly what it was, but he was dealing with something, uh, I think, at the end of September and, and into October that sometimes you just need a change and it's it's kind of understandable. Um, and of course, we got to make the caveat with this whole running back conversation that, yes, we understand the offensive line um, was was pretty poor this year. And that factors into some of the, the statistical things um, I think that we'll talk about uh, with Noah Kane because that's kind of the, the elephant in the room with anything with the running game is that the offensive line wasn't good enough to help these running backs who, you know, someone like Noah Kane, who might not be a hundred percent, they weren't doing enough to kind of help him make up for that. So we're just putting that out there uh, now so that we, yes, we understand that that's a factor in terms of how Noah Kane and these running backs perform this year. Some Penn State fans need no reminders about the stat, the stat, uh, status of this offensive line, but it is a good point that any any time you say a running back is struggling, uh, it is a group unit. You know there needs to be synergy and rhythm, obviously in the passing game, but in the running game, you know these these groups need to complement each other and. 
Um, there wasn't a lot of complimentary football happening there. The offensive line had their struggles, as we all know. And I frankly believe, you know, Noah Kane included being, you know, somewhere less than 100%. We don't know exactly where. But um, the running backs weren't good enough to make up for what the offensive line wasn't doing. Sometimes you can have one or the other. You know, if the offensive line is dominant, you can have a group like Penn State had in 2021 and still have some success with them. And sometimes if the running backs are so dominant, you don't necessarily need to blow everybody off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, he, here we are. I think um, a remake of the of the Penn State running game is probably pretty good for all parties. And you think about not a great two-year stretch for Noah Kane for all kinds of reasons. You know, he's a guy who is from the South, from Louisiana, played his uh, high school football at IMG Academy. Sometimes that stuff factors in too, especially, you know, he's he's making a decision to transfer with, you know, icy snow all over the ground, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and and maybe there was a little bit of home, you know, get, trying to get closer to home or get back to warmth, whatever. I mean, who, who knows where his motivation lies, but the fact does remain that he can still find another gear. You know, what we haven't saw what we saw from him in 2019, 2020s hurt on the first play, the uh, first uh, drive of the series against Indiana. Pretty clearly wasn't himself this past year for for all those reasons that that we mentioned. So good fresh start for him. Um, did look like, by the way, that he had a little bit of extra juice in that bowl game. Like those like those few weeks did him some good. Yeah, definitely. I think that the the bowl game performance, obviously, in the grand scheme of that game, I think he and Kevon Lee combined for like 11 carries for 73 yards, which is a whole other conversation about play distribution. But both of those running backs looked good, um, especially after kind of how the season went um, for them. And I think Noah Kane, five carries, 28 yards. There's one one run where he got out around the edge overall this year, 106 carries, 350 yards only 3.3 yards per carry uh he led the team with four rushing touchdowns um his receiving did kind of take an uptick um 19 catches 114 yards after he was pretty much a non-factor in the passing game as a freshman and I thought that was a pretty interesting kind of addition to his game I think he had a long catch and run against Wisconsin um and it was just kind of a thing where his size uh, I think it was 5'10 220 pounds somewhere Somewhere in there, I I did not write that one down. Uh, but he was the bigger back, and his reputation was kind of running between the tackles. But Penn State had some success this year on kind of the the swing pass, get him out in the space um, in the flat, and then he has he's one on one with a linebacker or a cornerback, and he was making things happen. So I think that there were, even though the overall kind of picture is wasn't that good this year, there are some little things in his development where if the offensive line was maybe a tick better or if he was just a bit healthier uh, or hadn't got uh, dinged up, I think it was maybe in the Auburn game um, because we didn't see him against Villanova the next week. If those things are just a little bit better, maybe it's a completely different uh, type of season for, for Noah Kane, but it's just kind of, it's one of those things where given how it started uh, 84 carries, 443 yards, eight touchdowns as a freshman, um, he had the, the opportunity to be the guy after journey Brown's medical retirement that, it's just an example of kind of how fragile a lot of these situations can be, especially out of position like running back where the shelf life, I'm sure that he wanted to be free and done um, at Penn state. I'm sure that coming into this year, the goal was to to go to the, have the type of season where you go to the NFL just because of the the beating that these guys take, but things just kind of, it, it's just a very fragile position and, and the tiniest little thing can just kind of throw things off for you. 
And and that's why I do think um, the more I kind of wrap my head around, you know, Noah Kane, it was a surprise at first because, you know, you look at the rest of the room and we'll get to the rest of the running back room here in a moment. But there looked to me to be easily two guys who, in my mind, were more likely to transfer out just because of circumstance. But they, they didn't do it. Not yet. Anyway, you know, Noah Kane, they've been pretty clear that. Yes, he he is a consistent consumer of yardage, but he's not he can't be limited to a power back. And I think, you know, he he's better in some of these areas uh when he's healthy, when he's right, when he's rolling. Uh and the I think the receiving stats are a good indication of that. He's not really a one-trick pony. We just haven't really seen the full skill set of Noah Kane because we just haven't had that opportunity yet. So hopefully he gets that wherever he ends up going. I think he can still be a really good back. I don't think this is a Kenneth Walker, the third type transfer someplace, but this mm-hmm. is a guy who can, who can run for 600 or 700 yards if he stays healthy over the full course of a, a season. So hoping for the best for him. Let's look at this group that's back now. So Kevon Lee kind of emerged. I think, you know, some would say, I think Bob Flanders was on this train for a while that, um, you know, his usage, it was a long time coming for him to step into the forefront and 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 be the the leader of this position group. So that happened late in the year. I think to some extent the jury's still out on okay, what is Kevon Lee's true ceiling? So we maybe we find that out in 2022. Devin Ford, you know, he was a guy at one point in time was elevated, I believe, to a five-star recruit. He was certainly a high four-star recruit coming out of Virginia. And you see some electricity when he touches the ball, but not a lot of efficiency in his game. And James Franklin, you know, before last season, talked about consistency a lot with Devin Ford. And that comes to work habit, practice habits, in-game, um, all those things. And that just hasn't evolved quite yet. He's been buried on the depth chart in that third or fourth range for a couple years because I Holmes was more buried on the depth chart than I anticipated he would be so he was one guy especially coming from the state of Florida uh, not getting a lot of work this year um, that I thought maybe would be somebody who entertains transfer as well but this is the group now and we'll talk about the two guys who, who both came on campus Nick Singleton and Katron Allen here in a second when you look at this group um, obviously Kevon Lee I think enters this offseason as the number one guy he led the team in rushing definitely at six, I think six foot two thirty nine. but he talks about uh, Noah Kane kind of getting pigeonholed as, as a power back. I, I think that Kevon Lee has a little bit more than we give him credit for. I think that when you talk about him, you kind of always talk like, Oh, he's going to go between the tackles. He's going to get those runs up the middle, but he did some nice things uh, when he could get to the edge. I know that was kind of a, a point of contention with trying to bounce things outside um, running horizontal instead of vertical. But he could do some things. He had a couple nice catches in the passing game. Um, I think that he could have a very well-rounded type of game um, moving forward, depending on how this offseason goes. And then I think at this point with Devin Ford, um, if you get anything out of him, that's great. Whether it's as a a kick returner, um, maybe a, a change of pace back here or there. It's one of those things where it's unfortunate that that the lights never really come on. Um, I remember watching his highlights uh, when he was maybe I think probably a sophomore uh, in high school, or I think I was I was still covering Maryland. So this is like 2016 uh, when he first came on my radar um, in Northern Virginia, and it was type of thing where I was like, oh, like this is this is the guy that you really want to keep an eye on, and it's just kind of hasn't really come together and. We'll see um, when you talk about kind of the, the profile of guys who might enter the portal. I think going into his senior year with kind of with the way the depth chart looks, it wouldn't be a surprise. But we talked to him after the Michigan State game and 
he kind of seemed very kind of in tune with kind of the program and kind of where they were at and kind of the, the situation. So we'll see. And then I think Kazai Holmes is definitely the wild card. Um, he's more, I feel like he's more of an unknown than the two freshmen coming in just because we didn't see him at all last year. Um, the, the impression that I've gotten is that he was really supposed to redshirt in 2020, but that was the plan. But then journey Brown retires, Noah King gets hurt. And then suddenly there's just no, no depth back there. So I think that he had to play a lot more than they were expecting. Um, and then you kind of come into this year and it's like, okay, now you're going to get that work. Um, and, and Jaywan Sider talked a lot about trust and that Kazai Holmes needs to trust Sider, needs to trust kind of the program uh, and their plan for him. And you know, he's from Florida. Uh, I think Jaywan Sider and him, I think their relationship dates back to when Sider was in Florida. So I think that he's someone that it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how he comes along um, and kind of what he can do after really being behind the scenes. I mean, he wears number 26, obviously, uh, at Penn State for running backs. That's a notable number. But whenever we would go into practice last year, he'd be wearing a scout team number. So there was there's really no uh, number 26 with that running back room. So um, I'm pretty intrigued by him, especially because I wasn't covering the team in 2020. So I never I've never really seen him play uh, extensively in person. So interesting group of three uh, that you have with experience and kind of how it could settle out, what their roles could be. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think Kane's exit really kind of clears the way for uh, these freshmen to kind of have their opportunity to to work and compete with Holmes and Ford. And I think uh, it does offer, you know, to your point, more clarity about what these guys can do and what their role can be right away. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, you're talking about Singleton was a five star from 24-7 sports. He was a four star everywhere else, including the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, Katron Allen, four star, top 120 type player in, in the country, top 10 running back. Penn State was one of you know two or three programs, I believe, to get two top 10 uh, running backs in the same class. So these guys arrive at a pretty good time because – this depth chart does need a little bit of a shakeup. It does need, I think Kevon Lee does need to be pressed a little bit right out of the gates. And I think the fact that these guys are enrolling, you know, I've already enrolled in classes. They're on campus now can start kind of making their presence felt probably helps the competition in the room. Start with Nick Singleton. He's a really good starting point because he is out, an outstanding player. Uh, from everything I've seen, from mental makeup, as much as you can gauge that from you know hearing from others and kind of watching him operate, uh, looks to be a really strong-minded kid. And he looks like he runs with with a lot of sort of strength and energy and and aggression and you know some of the things and and those areas where. You know, you mentioned Kevon Lee having that big frame. He doesn't always run like he's got that big frame. Nick Singleton not doesn't have quite as much heft, but I think he runs with more power than Kevon Lee does. I think he's faster. I think he's quicker. I, you know, to and just the bottom line, I think he's a better player right now than Kevon Lee is. Just my opinion. It's just a matter of how quickly he's able to work his way up. And then I think Katron Allen. You know, if you could kind of identify a clone all the way down to his high school of Noah Kane. He's a pretty good one, you know, being at 5'10", 220, somebody who can kind of grind out yards. They've got, you know, a couple different backs in this class who should, I think, if not one for sure in my mind, but maybe both of these guys burn their red shirts in 22. Yeah, I feel like Singleton is is going to play, that he's going to be a, a part of the part of the offense just when you look at when you look at the numbers. I mean, three running backs is is a good place to be. 
Um, and Devin Ford, kind of a question mark in terms of what you're going to get out of him. And Kaziah Holmes, also a wild card. So I think that you can slot in Singleton um, as kind of a, a 2B or a 3B um, going in on the depth chart in terms of competition. So um, I think with, with Allen, it will be interesting to see if he is kind of a, he plays three games, you know, plays in the Ohio game, plays in the Central Michigan game, then maybe makes a cameo somewhere else and they, they save the fourth game for the bowl. Cause it's a thing where when a bigger running back, when you come in and you have that kind of frame, what is that frame actually made of um, in terms of a size? And I think that we have this conversation more about kind of linemen um, in terms of their listed numbers and, and kind of the changing their bodies when they, they come into college. But at the same time, Catron Allen comes from IMG Academy, which is essentially a college program um, in terms of, of how it's run and, and how things are handled. So I think that that does kind of give him a leg up as the, as the season goes on, maybe he's someone who's, whose role expands a little bit. So it'll be interesting. I think a lot of people are really excited to see Singleton. I'm excited to see Singleton. And I think the fact that both of them are on campus, I think really, really helps um, in terms of learning the offense and, and getting their bodies adjusted because running back is one of those positions where I think if you're a wide receiver, if you're fast, you can kind of carve out a role. You can, you can find some things to do um, as a freshman, even if your physical development isn't quite there. Um, But running back, unless you're a pure burner, I mean, you're going to have to be ready physically uh, for what's going to happen. So I think that this gives them a, a leg up. And I think that by the time we're allowed and hopefully allowed into practice or the, the blue white game that, we can actually see um, what we've kind of heard about um, for so long with these guys. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Looking back at, at Penn State's kind of history of having these true freshmen standout running backs, how they've been utilized. So Noah Kane started his freshman year down on the depth chart a little bit. Uh, Saquon Barkley. Um, when he began, started his career down on the depth chart a little bit. I think he was second to Akeel Lynch whenever he arrived in whatever that was, 2014? 15. 15, 2015. <laughs> Kevon Lee, I don't think it was ideal in 2020 for him to you know get as much run as he did, but he kind of shook them. So he started his career down there on the depth chart a little bit. Journey Brown was a little different story because um, he had to develop. Miles Sanders, um, start, it wasn't until his junior year where he really stepped so the point being, my expectation for Singleton would, would be maybe he's not the starter in week one. There's a little bit of history that says, you know, just because in practice and stuff that your freshman looks like your best back. I think James Franklin needs to see it in games. And I don't blame him for that. But I do expect Singleton maybe to be the number two to Kevon Lee um, coming out of camp. 
but then establishing pretty early in the year that, okay, we can't really keep this guy on the bench. This guy needs to be fed 15 plus times per game. That's my expectation for how things play out. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, but he's not the starter, but it becomes pretty clear, just like it was clear with Barkley back in 2015. Like, okay, this is, this is the best guy on, on the depth chart. And maybe he is a transcendent type talent. I think Singleton has that possibility. Yeah. And I think that we're going to know right away when he's on the field, when he has the ball in his hands. Um, and I think that that was the thing last year with Kane that was just kind of, just kind of baffling to watch is that it was just kind of three yards into the line, not a lot of wiggle, not a lot of bounce, not a lot of explosiveness. Um, and it was just kind of, that's not what we were accustomed to seeing out of him. Um, whereas with Lee, I mean, for better or worse with kind of running East West and the, kind of the adventure that that would be sometimes that at least kind of showed that there is, okay, he's got a little wiggle. Um, there, there is some explosiveness there and, you know, running back and wide receiver are two of the positions where um, on the field, you can just kind of see how a guy moves um, in relation to, to the rest of the rest of the players. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is legit. This, this is as advertised. So I think we'll know quickly, but kind of a tangent to this too. I mean, the running back position, I feel like more than any other position is just kind of, it's really weird to manage at the college level because it's such kind of a, an in-between phase where in high school, a lot of these guys are the guy, they're the best player on their team. So they're going to get the ball um, all the time. But at the same time, they have NFL aspirations. And as a running back, I mean, you're basically on a pitch count. Um, that there comes a point where the the body starts to break down. Um, and so you kind of have to figure out how you navigate those, you know, middle three or four years. And I think Penn State is aware of kind of keeping guys healthy and and kind of trying to get guys into the league fresh. I think Miles Sanders is, is kind of a, a good example of the template where it's like you might sit for two years but you'll have a year where you can be the guy or one of the guys. And look, he was a second round pick. He's had early success. He got into the league fresh and you could tell that he was kind of a a different kind of player. So I think when you look at someone like Devin Ford, who was such a workhorse um, in uh, high school from such an early age, and it was so clear that that he was the guy that it's something that it's kind of a it's a very weird balance um, for for that position. And I think Jalen Sider knows it. James Franklin knows it. It's it's kind of a weird, weird management. I think basically like wider running back more than any other position is that you really, really have to balance. All right. We want to win now, but at the same time, we don't want to burn this kid out, um, which you see sometimes at, at other programs. And I think that is part of their strategy is, is building a running back group. That's a legitimate five deep where they have a pretty clear cut top three, you know, the challenge this past year, in addition, you know, to that caveat, again, I'll bring it up that the offensive line didn't do a whole lot of favors <laughs> of this running back group, but the, the issue was, it was, it was like a big glob of, of backs and you couldn't really differentiate who belonged where, you know, who is the number one. If you could ideally, if you could give Kevon Lee Noah Kane's temperament and approach, he'd be a really, really good back. If you could mm-hmm. give Noah Kane, you know, the 2021 version of Noah or uh, Kevon Lee's spring, that that first step, that 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 quickness, he'd be a really, really good back. The problem is you couldn't do those things. You can't create a Frankenstein's monster out of out of Penn State's spare parts in the, in the backfield. So he ended up with, you know, in my opinion. 
uh, four guys who were incomplete backs and almost like an arbitrary way of trying to divvy up who goes where, where I think you wanted you wanted Noah Kane to prove and establish that he was the top guy because he is the best pure running back of the group, no question. When that didn't happen, I felt like they struggled a little bit to, to determine, okay, what is the pecking order? I think life is made a, a lot easier whenever you have some kind of slotted role. At the very least, somebody who you know is your workhorse number one back. Then you can sprinkle in everything else. Um, this is the, the direction everybody's going in college because of that. I think it's appealing to everyone. It's appealing now, maybe not initially, but it's appealing to high school running backs to know that I'm not going to get run like crazy. A decade ago, it was like, I want the ball 300 times. I want to show <laughs> the league what I can do. Now it's like you have your Alvin Kamara's of the world where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't have to be a starter. You know, if I get 50 touches, I can, I can do this thing. You know, the, the whole culture has changed. And I think Penn State, for the most part, has really adapted and changed well with it. I honestly just don't think they had the pieces to manage this running back rotation the way they wanted to last year. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where someone like Katron Allen is interesting because he was at IMG so for the past couple of years. So he's already been playing in a timeshare um, that he hasn't been the guy. I forget exactly what his timeline was, but when I think when there's a year in Virginia um, before he went to IMG where, where he was the guy, he was you know the number one, the bell cow, the workhorse, uh, whatever kind of farm metaphor you want to use there. But when he went to IMG, he was splitting time with other four and five stars. And so I think that he kind of, he's someone that can come in with kind of the, the approach, you know, knowing how this works, knowing how the competition works, um, which I think will be, that's kind of a, an interesting subplot there um, in terms of, of him coming in. Let's look quickly at the rest of these early enrollees. Both the running backs are there already. You got both the quarterbacks on campus, Drew Aller and Bo Prabola. Two wide receivers, Caden Soners and Amari Evans. So right there, you've got skill position slash quarterback as, as six of the nine who are on campus. Then you might, might, might as well throw in Jerry Cross in, in that, the tight end from Wisconsin. Uh, the Lackawanna College offensive lineman, J.B. Nelson, is on campus. And one defender out of nine. So you got eight offensive guys, one defender. Uh, Zane Durant, the defensive tackle from Florida, who's got a little bit of development ahead of him to try to build into a college-level um, defensive tackle. Uh, Cam Miller initially was going to enroll and opted not to. He's going to play in, I think, the Polynesian Bowl uh, mm-hmm. here later this month. Um, so you got nine guys on campus. That's another shift in college football culture where that number seems to grow every, every year. But you have a, a lot of guys, from my viewpoint, who can really benefit, maybe not in terms of, oh, he's going to play in 2022 because he enrolled in January, but guys who can really benefit from that extra time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that Zane Durant is probably the biggest in terms of getting here early and and beginning that development, Um, just because I think I've mentioned it before that the trenches, that's where you have kind of the the biggest uh, development uh, curve, unless you're one of these just insanely blessed, uh, physically gifted five stars um, who can come in and just play from day one. So I think that Durant is someone who will benefit a lot um, from getting in, getting into the strength program, uh, defensive tackle. Obviously, a position with some uncertainty. Um, PJ Mustafer is back. They did lose two kind of bottom of the depth chart um, guys with Aeneas Hawkins uh, ending his football career and then uh, Joseph Darqua uh, entering the transfer portal. Neither of those guys played last year, but those are still two scholarship guys that fill in the bottom of the depth chart. And as we all know, there can be a lot of injuries 
um, that can happen pretty quickly. So I think Zane Durant getting here early, um, that's good. Um, similar with JB Nelson, but of course he already has the two years of experience at Lackawanna. Um, I think he's tweeted about kind of how much weight he's lost and how his body has changed uh, during those two years after coming out of Mount Lebanon uh, in Western PA, Class 6A champs this year. Um, and so I think that Nelson is kind of someone to watch. I think the indications are he could compete um, at guard um, and Penn State could potentially have three open offensive line slots um, to compete for this year, including both guards, depending on uh, what Mike Miranda does. That's one decision that is still kind of looming out there. And then whether Juice Scruggs is the center of the future or a guard, but probably the center um, based on what we saw down the stretch. So I think Nelson and Durant, those are kind of the the positions where physically you want to get those guys on campus. Um, and then uh, Jerry Cross similar just because of the, his body type. And he's also someone where he doesn't need to play right away. Um, with Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, all projected to be back, and then Khalil Dinkins uh, finishing up his redshirt year. So I think that Cross will probably be on kind of that Warren and Dinkins trajectory where you redshirt that first year, and then maybe in the second year, your role kind of expands a little bit. So I think that those are the guys that kind of need the most physical development. And then for the rest of them, it's Obviously, you get the physical development, but with the skill position players, I think it's a lot more of, of the playbook, knowing where you need to be, getting the reps, making the adjustment to the speed of the game. Um, I think that that's where you'll see kind of the, the biggest uh, curve uh, in terms of those guys. And just, the, you know, my last point, I guess, would just be with these wide receivers, Caden Saunders and Amari Evans. You're looking at guys who, as they are on campus now, are probably both uh, sub 4-4 four, four guys in, in the 40 now. And maybe, you know, depending on where you look, uh, kind of significantly below sub 4-4. So adding a little jolt of speed, you know, Caden Saunders, I think, is is much more prepared to play immediately. So he's going to be a really interesting name to follow in that wide receiver depth chart because Parker Washington, I believe, is is your rock solid number one. But it's like Mitchell Tinsley, you know, I'm really curious, are we looking at him as a number three or a guy who can push Parker Washington? I mean, nothing would really surprise me considering he went for 1,400 plus yards coming out of Western Kentucky last year. I mean, he... He uh, looks pretty legit to me. So you have a couple guys there. You've got um, Keandre Lambert-Smith back. Yeah, I've got Malik Mega, who could maybe make that leap. And then you've got Caden Saunders, I think, maybe pushing there. And I think his skill set, super interesting for that slot position. So he'll, he'll, he'll be one to watch too. But I think adding that, that speed with both of them, uh, it can only help try to threaten opposing defenses. I wouldn't be surprised if Caden Saunders was the number four wide receiver this year uh, behind Washington, Lambert Smith, and Tinsley. Obviously, there's a lot of other guys on that depth chart. Um, I am curious with Harrison Walls, the third. Um, they've talked a lot about his athletic tools and kind of what's the next step for him. Um, and a similar thing with Liam Clifford. But in terms of the other guys on the roster, I mean, uh, Malik Mega uh, is someone where there's, I, I like him. Uh, he was a, a great interview. Um, I like the tools and kind of that he passes the eye test a hundred percent, but at the same time, there's kind of, it's a lot still projection with him. Um, it's still kind of, yeah, he can be the next guy. He can be the next guy. And I think that he was someone worth the bowl game. We we're expecting a lot out of, um, obviously the whole offense didn't play well. So, you know, he didn't necessarily get his, his chances, but I think that mega is still a 
that's a pretty big question mark at that position where I think you only have three guys um, that you feel really confident rolling out there in Washington, Lambert Smith, and now Tinsley. So I think Saunders really has a chance to, to move up the depth chart. Um, there's a reason he was a, a top 100 recruit, a pretty highly regarded four-star um, by a lot of the services. So I think he'll have kind of the, the chance of these offensive skill position guys. I think outside of Singleton, um, Saunders will have the, the chance to do kind of the, the most early contribution. And my thought was, he said the coaching staff compared him to K.J. Hamler. I think he's somewhere between K.J. Hamler and Parker Washington in terms of his skills. You know, I think he's more he's a little bit more durable. Um, his build, anyway, is more durable than K.J. Hamler, who was pretty spindly coming out um, of high school. Kind of, He just looks like he's got an idea out there. And, you know, you talk about Malik Mega, and, you know, that's that's been the, the development is not his – size or speed because he's got that unique package at six, four and, and runs, uh, you know, I don't know what his 40 is, but Ru- is a super fast guy too. having him process the game and see the game and have instincts for it and read things correctly. That's one area where Caden Saunders looks to be pretty far ahead of the game. Yeah. And I think with Saunders, it's definitely kind of the, the first kind of ready to go wide receiver that they've brought in probably since Parker Washington you look at Mega, I mean, that class had Washington, Lambert Smith, Mega, and Jaden Dotton, uh, where Mega and Dotton were both kind of, they were developmental guys. And then Lambert Smith, I think, was kind of on the, he was on the borderline between contributing right away versus um, being a developmental guy. And he had a very solid freshman year, whereas, and then Washington came in uh, ready to go. Um, and then this past year, uh, Harrison Wallace is kind of a, he was a developmental guy. And then I think Liam Clifford was similar in that and getting up to speed. So you look at, you know, the, the six, why obviously maybe Lonnie white would have been ready to go from day one um, last year. If he, if he would have signed and knock on the play baseball, but you look at it and that's six wide receivers and in two classes and only one of them was kind of explicitly like, all right, like he's ready from day one. Um, and so I think that it's good that Penn state, is bringing in someone like Saunders who is in that ready to go from day one um, kind of perspective. And maybe Omari Evans can, can find his way onto the field simply because of that speed, uh, you know, put him in for four snaps a game, line him up out wide and just tell him to, to run deep and make a safety chase him. Um, that might be, <laughs> that might be a viable strategy for Mike Yersich. But I think that Saunders um, is someone who, because he committed so early uh, because he was kind of, you know, I don't want to say stuck in like that four-star purgatory, but like there is something about simply being a four-star, even if it's higher, that it's not quite that, you know, he didn't have one recruiting service rank him as a five-star, like Deny Dennis Sutton did. Um, He kind of was on that borderline. So I think that he's someone who just based on timing and kind of that kind of hype doesn't necessarily have kind of the, the same his height behind him coming in, but I think that he's someone who could end up being a, a really big factor for this offense in the fall. By my vantage point here, I've got four guys who are capable of playing day one. Caden Saunders, uh, J.B. Nelson, of all things work out, both the running backs, and then a fifth would be Drew Aller, who I think <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Penn State fans will be screaming for him to play day one, depending on how things go. But it, it'll be interesting to see. I think to have the, the whole quarterback conversation – is probably a podcast of its own. But so uh, I think the quarterback conversation can be every podcast in March and April for us, and maybe in August too. 
<laughs> Let's jot it down. Let's plan for it. There you go. We're going to we're gonna talk non-quarterbacks for the next two months, and so then it's quarterback season after that. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Definitely want to keep an eye on what Drew Aller is doing and how the coaching staff talks about him and how new strength staff talks about him and things like that. So we'll be following along with that all through. We're going to look ahead to the next signing day, and there's going to be a lot of transfer portal updates, I'm sure, coming soon. We'll stay up to date here on the Blue Wave Breakdown. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Make sure you follow Daniel at Daniel JT Gallon. Check us out on penlive.com and locate all of our blue white breakdown podcasts on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This is the blue white breakdown.